What is it like to start your own agency at the age of 22? Allison Gaylor joins the How to Play the Game podcast to talk about that and how it's been for her working her way through the sports industry for the past eight years, representing some of the best and brightest WNBA players. It's a relevant topic because tonight will be the WNBA draft, and Allison Gaylor has a very unique perspective on tonight's draft. She purposefully and strategically has decided not to represent any players. She did recruit one potential prospect, but that player went with another agency. We talk about that, her struggles and accomplishments as she has built up her agency over the past eight years. We dive into a tragic experience where she lost one of her best players. And we talk about how the coronavirus has affected her practice and the business at large. All right. Today we have Allison Gaylor on the How to Play the Game podcast. How are you doing, Allison? I am doing great. How about you? I'm doing very well myself. Thanks for asking. So you've created quite a niche doing work with WNBA players, and it's a very relevant conversation we have today with the WNBA draft going to happen tonight. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this field. What interested you in particularly dealing with WNBA players? Sure. So my long story short is I was fortunate enough to grow up around the business. My uncle, Lon Rosen, is the EVP and CMO of the Los Angeles Dodgers and was a, an agent prior to that and has been around working in the business at a very high level for a very long time. So I was lucky enough to, to really grow up around the business side at a young age and start, start working in sports by the age of 17 as a senior in high school. And I interned for the LA Sparks of the WBA, and I was about to go play myself at Brown back east. I'm from LA, and I live in LA now. So, yeah, I kind of got exposed to the WNBA pretty pretty early on the business side of it, you know, rather than on the fan side of it. And going and you know playing myself at least in college, even though it's at a pretty pretty low level, and I never had I never had aspirations or realistic goals to to play professionally myself. I think it, it made a lot of sense to go into the WNBA and, and the business of women's basketball. And that's kind of how I ended up pursuing it. And I had think, existing relationships. My fault. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no problem. Do you think it helps having that playing background and using that to then focus on representing professional athletes? I know there's a lot of individuals in your space who really have no background in playing sports professionally or at an amateur level, but then there are those who have that experience and certainly use it to their advantage in recruiting. How does it or does it not help? I think it helps. I mean, you want to be able to connect with your clients at the level that, that, you know, they want and deserve. And, and clearly they, you know, at least most of my clients like talking about basketball, you know, they want to have conversations about how their game was about, I'm not, I'm not by any means an X's and O's person. I don't advertise myself or try to be their coach, but they know that I understand the game and that I I know how each one of them individually plays and how that fits in with with you know different styles and and all that with different WNBA teams and overseas teams. So I think it's a huge, huge value add. I mean, basketball people are basketball people to a certain degree. And I think that goes for each sport. I'm not saying that you can't represent or do a great job representing clients if you didn't play that sport 
at all or even a high level. Like, I don't think that that's true at all. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I do think there's a strategic advantage. I mean, look, I can't ever say I never played in the WNBA. There's other agents that in that I compete with that that have played in the WNBA. And, you know, that's their that's their strategic advantage. And I would do the same thing if I were them. But I think playing playing to the degree that I did and it 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 was my focus and and all that for for a long time. And I still play, you know, for fun. So I, I think it's an advantage. I, I guess I've said that. multiple times. <laughs> Having someone like Lon Rosen in your family has to be a, a very big tactical advantage growing up. I mean, he was the, the agent for Magic Johnson. He worked at William Morris Agency for a few years before it became William Morris Endeavor and now Endeavor, just a, a, its own name. But what, what types of lessons did you learn from him? Was there anything specific that was a big takeaway? I mean, he's taught me a lot in just having him as a as a resource and as an anchor and someone who who is not only in the business at a high level, but is always going to have my best interest at heart because we're family is is everything. And I wouldn't be where I'm at without him for sure. But pointing to one one specific lesson, I don't even know if I could come up with that. But Darren, I think we met we met when Lon and came with me to the Ivy Sports Symposium with with my cousin Brian, with his son, I think. That was that like was, 10 years ago. Yeah, pretty much. That was a long wow. time. But yeah, no, he's given me a ton of, you know, he gives me a, t- a ton of of, um, of help, more or less. And, you know, he's not, I don't ask him, I don't hit him up every day for stuff, but uh, I know he's always there as a resource, for sure. And he got me going with internships. And without that, I mean, opening the door was by far the biggest, the biggest thing he could do for me. Because then I just kind of took an opportunity and ran with it. So tell me about the WNBA draft. We've got it going on tonight. Um, I think you've mentioned to me it's the first draft since 2013 where you're not representing any draft-eligible players, but you've, you've taken this stance by design. Tell me a little bit about that and what you're expecting with this draft. Sure. So to your point, that is, that is very true. 2013 was the last draft, draft, last draft class that I didn't represent any rookie. I looked at I looked at this draft class back in I don't know August September, and I've always been pretty particular about the the people that I recruit. You know, they I'm lucky that my clients are are incredible basketball players, but more important than that for me is that they're they're great humans, and I work you know I work really hard, and I care a lot about my clients, and I want to work with people that I like, and so. I've never been a mass recruiter. I think my biggest recruiting class ever has probably been four four clients at some point, uh, maybe in 20, 2014 when I was I was really just starting out recruiting. And so I I've had a an interesting, I guess, past like 13, 14 months with with growth and growth and loss at the same time, where I started working with Liz Cambage, who is is one of the best players in the world. And and that that came with a lot of growth. I, I signed a pretty good uh, recruiting class, and then one of those one of those two players who ended up being the rookie of the year ended up uh, firing me over the course of the summer. So I think I needed to take a step back and look at this recruiting recruiting class and see who I really wanted to you know focus my attention on and who was realistic. And and it's um, not to not to talk badly about this this draft class by any means, but of the last couple years, I think 
top to bottom across the first round, there's a, a big discrepancy between, let's say, the top four picks and the rest of the first round and then kind of kind of goes down from there. And I think I think there's some some great players in this draft class that'll immediately make an impact. But just the way I look at it and the approach I have to recruiting, I only recruited one player. She decided to go in a different direction. And I think she's gonna be awesome in the draft. But that was pretty much it. I mean, that's kind of how I approached it. I really prior to the pandemic wanted to double down on the clients that I that I've been working with and that and that I need to to really help grow and, and double down on before I'm just gonna keep you know, signing players to sign players because that's not I work for myself and I have one employee and he's awesome, but I don't have this I don't have someone over my shoulder saying, You have to, you know, you have to sign two first round picks or four players or you have to be able to ship them off, you know, to play overseas and, and bring in money and like that's not, you know, that's not where I'm at with my business. Like I love who I work with. I love my clients. They're all growing on and off the court uh, in terms of their businesses. And so so yeah, would I love to sign that one player that I recruited for sure, but that's not how this business works. And when you when you only shoot your shot with one player in terms of recruiting, the chances are that's that's it's not a, a likely chance that you're gonna go one for one. Sure, it's it's tough to put all your eggs in one basket, but obviously you thought long and hard about that, and I'm sure you're okay with losing out and not having any players in this draft. I'd like to to go back and focus a little bit, you mentioned that you were representing one of the more prominent players in the league and that she ended up going elsewhere. Uh, you've taken the very bold step of creating your own firm, very, very an agency, very difficult to do. What were some of the lessons that you learned from that particular experience, which I'm sure was heartbreaking? I lived through it when I was an agent before I pivoted to becoming a full-time attorney. So what what were some of the takeaways from from that experience? Yeah, I mean, when you have your own firm, I mean, you have your own your your own firm too. I mean, being an entrepreneur, especially in the business of sports, and and particularly being in the in the client representation business, it's a it's a competitive, cutthroat, tough business to be in. Not that other businesses aren't tough, but it it is it is not easy. It is not easy to be on your own. I again, because of lawn, you know, I have. I have some sort of backbone where people that don't know me or who I don't connect with, like probably know him, you know, and he, I think gave me a level of credibility when I walked into it. I mean, look, I started to show up the game eight years ago. I was 22. I learned a lot trial by fire. I've had my share of, of disappointments and heartbreaks for sure over the course of the last eight years. But if not for those, then, then I wouldn't grow and get better. I mean, with every, with every player that goes in a different direction in terms of signing with a different agent or every player that that has decided to to go in a different direction once they had been working with me i've i've taken that as as almost constructive criticism of how to be better and and how to make sure that the clients that are working with me you know are happy and i think a lot of it a lot of it in my opinion boils down to to communication because i work hard i work a lot and i care a lot but at the end of the day, if I'm not communicating that with players, with players' families, with the people around them, then they don't know what I'm doing. And and the assumption is, if they don't see a direct a result or a value add or something like that, the assumption is, oh, she's not doing anything. She's working for other clients. And I think because I'm a two-man band now, and I hired my first employee a year ago, seven years into this, I think it's it's almost easier to to see that that lack of communication and the 
perceived lack of value that that I'm bringing because it's it's a two man band and I don't have a big agency behind me where whether or not the whole big agency is actually working on behalf of that client there's at least the perception that there's multiple people that there's teams that there's you know a lot of humans working on their behalf I hope that makes sense yeah it does and take me through the economics of your business within your profession a lot of individuals who want to become agents oftentimes think to themselves i want to be an nfl agent an nba agent a major league baseball agent and i'm sure somewhere long down the line of on that list would be being a wnba agent it's just not something that a lot of individuals who want to get into the the field of sports agency think about how much competition do you have within the WNBA circles? Are you dealing with individuals who are also licensed to practice and do practice as NBA agents? And is there legit money to be made in representing these players? All right. I will go first things first. In So the business of the WNBA in terms of how, how my business makes money is – in you know, in the WNBA, I guess on a commission basis, we're capped at five percent by the WNBPA. Now that salaries, you know, are going up, and there's a new CBA of which two of my clients, Elizabeth Williams and Chinay McKay, were on the executive committee, really in the trenches, helping you know, helping advocate for for what's now become a, a great step in the right direction for for the players and for the league in general and. Salaries went up a, a good amount and, and players are starting to get more of what of what they deserve. And so so, yeah, so did the, the business of the WNBA and then overseas is where most players make the bulk of their money. And so agents agents make uh, I think uh, same thing on the men's side, right? It's 10 percent usually as a separate line item on the contract that the team pays agents directly that doesn't come out of the player's amount. And so I either work directly or, or I have a, a couple of partner agents across the world that, that I work with. And then endorsements, marketing, you know, opportunities, speaking engagements. I also have two clients, Lisa Leslie and Chinea Gwumike, who are full-time broadcasters. So I work on that business with them as well. And yeah, that's pretty much more or less the business. And, and is there a lot of competition? Do you find that uh, you are fighting against many different agents for the same clientele. And uh, I assume that at least there's less saturation with regard to being a WNBA agent as there may be with being an NBA agent. Yeah, I mean, I think from top to bottom, there are probably a lot less agents that are licensed and that are super hungry trying to get into the WNBA space. But you'd be surprised. I mean, it is becoming, I mean, it's already been a competitive business. And I think I don't know if it's it's because it's it's more niche than not, but there have been a couple incumbents in the industry for the last 20, 30 years that have really just just dominated the market and, and made it more difficult for for new entrants. But I think over the course of, I would say, the last well, eight, the last eight years that I've been I've been in it and I would say the last four to six in particular, there's a couple people that have come in and and been hungry and started, you know, started disrupting the game or however you want to call it and mixing things up and and signing players and players starting to kind of look around and see okay like most agents can place me overseas you know I know my value and who's going to be able to help add more value than just my WNBA contract and my overseas contract and that you know that is the bulk of the business and has been for 
for a long time, but now we're in a new day and age where, where there really are more opportunities. And, and if you don't have an agent that's going to go and try to find them, it's not those opportunities in the WNBA space, no matter how big the client is, they're not knocking down your door. So even with my, you know, my most, whatever you want to call it, um, most well-known clients are like, uh, Lisa Leslie's a really good example. Like part of the reason that she started working with me eight years ago is because she wanted someone who was going to hustle and get after it with her. And so far so good. So shifting from competition to costs, it, it sounds as though you've been able to keep a pretty lean business with one employee. What, what types of costs do you incur? Obviously you're probably flying around the country when there's not a pandemic pandemic in place, recruiting players and servicing the players. But do you have any any other types of costs, maybe training related costs, or is that not really a thing with WNBA players? So training isn't really a thing with WNBA players in large part because there's no time in their in their schedule to to have real time to train. And even even for rookies, usually they're pandemic aside, still at school or they're in their hometown. And if I can help them set up with a with a training regimen and a particular basketball skills trainer and all that. Um, but agents, I mean, the the business side isn't quite there to justify that upfront cost of training, but there really isn't a need because again, most players are playing through the NCAA tournament and have, let's say seven to 10 days before the draft. And then 10 to 14 days from the draft to training camp. So it's a very, very quick, quick cycle. And then once players finish in the WNBA, they typically leave for overseas soon thereafter. So there really isn't a lot of time, a lot of time to train, but in terms of costs for my business, I have definitely kept it lean probably to a fault, but being on my own, I've wanted to run it the right way and scale the right way and not, not just, like I said before, like I'm not in the business of mass recruiting. I don't want 50 players. I don't want hundred players. Like in the WNBA business, typically most, most agencies that compete for the top, top players have anywhere from, I don't know, at the lower end, 20 to 30 players upwards to like a hundred. So that is not what I, I don't think, I don't think you can adequately service and deliver value to that many clients. So I've kept it boutique and, and small in particular on purpose. And so, and I'm probably, I, I do more than I probably should. I mean, I'm very, very hands-on with my clients. And so it was hard for me to, to get to the point to, to want to hire someone and let them in you know, on what I do and how I do it and my relationships and, and all of that. So that's been a learning process for me, but yeah, in terms of costs, it's, it's predominantly teeny. I mean, most of it is, is travel and, and being with my clients and servicing my clients and, and all of that. I don't have a lot of fixed costs. I mean, I work, we work out of my condo. I have a dedicated office space in there. I just have never seen the need to, to get an office space. Like we get, we get it done and we work, we work a lot. So I think that's been interesting too, right? Is like all these big agencies that have these beautiful offices. Well, this pandemic's shown that it's all about the person that's working for you because everybody's sitting at home. And, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of fixed costs. I mean, look, there's like whatever email and website hosting and, you know, monday.com and that type of thing. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lean. 
for sure. I, I hear you as somebody who's been working from home for the past five years. Um, but look, my final question for you actually re uh, revolves around the pandemic, the coronavirus crisis. And uh, I'd like to know how, if at all, it's affected your business and the WNBA as a whole. Obviously, the draft is still going to be taking place tonight, right in the middle of the crisis with no live events otherwise really occurring whatsoever. We have the NFL draft next week, and that'll be a really interesting experiment. But how has the coronavirus crisis affected your business and the industry at large? So that that's definitely an interesting question. I have basically been dealing with the coronavirus since January when the outbreak, well, really since December in China. I had four players that were signed in China, one of whom may or may not had, have contracted the virus uh, in December before there was really an understanding of what the virus was. So I had a player that was was very, very sick in and out of the hospital in China in, in late December. And then, and then in January, right when we started hearing the news that this pandemic had, had broken out, or at least it was a, you know, a deadly virus that, that, um, that, was being acknowledged as such in China. I had one player there because China had a break from January 3rd until February 13th for the women's, the women's league. And so three of my players were home. One of my players went back mid-January. And the moment we started hearing the news, we got on the phone and, and she wasn't even allowed to, like she didn't participate in one practice. She was basically just stuck in the hotel. This was um, Kelsey Mitchell. And, and she, you know, she did the right thing and we got her out of there and, and, and she got home before, before it really became unsafe to, to be there. And, and everybody was locked, you know, it was before the real, real lockdown. And so we got super lucky that we were able to get her out of there, but, but yeah, so I've been dealing with it since then and tracking it since then. Uh, it followed my clients to Europe from China and over the course of the last, I don't know, six or so weeks. I've had to help get all my players home, which was mm -hmm. a, a process. And, and we're still dealing with some of the, the fallout from that just because a lot of the clubs have lost a lot of money and they're trying to sort out uh, paying the players what they owe. And there's just a lot of a lot of uncertainty for sure. I mean, as it relates to the WNBA, there is there is no set date upon which the WNBA is going to to start again. There is a lot of um a lot of question marks around what that's going to look like, how it's going to look. A lot of my clients are starting to ask me, well, what ha you know, what happens if there is a league? What happens if there if there isn't? You know, am I going to get paid? Or are you know, our shoe companies going to honor contract? You know, there's just a lot. There's a lot that's up in the air. But at the same time, I think the WNBA more than probably any other league has a real, real silver lining in this, where there isn't sports going on. There isn't a lot of competition for for eyeballs because everybody's sitting at home wanting to watch sports and, and engage in sports. And so right. for the WNBA, I mean, for Allie Quigley, who's not my client, but to participate in that horse competition and get the, the appropriate attention she she has over the course of the last four days, I think is 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 awesome. You know, and more people are probably going to want to watch Allie play in the Chicago Sky play than if she wouldn't have been in the horse competition. And so, and then last night they aired, uh, ESPN aired some of the, some of the best games over the course of the last like five years. So one of, or two of them were, 
one of my clients, Chelsea Gray, was a participant in with with the LA Sparks winning the championship in 2016. So they aired game one and game five, and she took over the ESPNW Instagram account and kind of gave like a lot live talk through of of what she was thinking and and answering fans' questions. So that type of stuff is is awesome because again, you know, more people are probably going to pay attention to it now than than they would have. And the same goes for the draft. I mean, the WNBA has a has a huge opportunity to knock tonight out of the ballpark and be creative. And that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an interesting silver lining. Uh, well, I guess you and I will both be spectators. We, you, you have no skin in the game tonight. So <laughs> enjoy. Uh, and I wish you the absolute best with all of your current clients. And hopefully we speak again soon. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. And uh, appreciate all you've done with the sports agent blog and, and just covering the business of sports. I am, a, I am a follower for sure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of How to Play the Game. This is the second week that How to Play the Game podcast has been available. And now we are available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where you're listening to your podcasts on a daily basis. If you have the time, we would greatly appreciate you giving us five stars where appropriate and leaving a generous review. And as always, if you enjoy the show, please share with others. Be safe.